We're going to continue on in our series in Psalm 23. Um, I'm going to read from the NIV this time. Usually we read from the NLT. Um, So if you are able uh, to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do so and to turn to Psalm 23. The NIV version will be on the screen for us. And it reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray, God. And heaven, thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives and the fact that you love us, Lord. And we're just so thankful to gather here in your name and to worship you. And Lord, as we worship individually and as our own families, and now as we come together as a church family, we just pray that it's a blessing to you. We also pray for the other churches that proclaim your name and their service, Lord. And again, we're just reminded that we are just one small part of your kingdom, Lord, and we want to be faithful. Lord, we'll continue to pray for the students at camp now and the students that will go next month. What a blessing it is to get away, Lord, and to grow closer to you and to one another. So, Lord, now we just pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word through your spirit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So, as we make our way through this Psalm 23, and now we are in verse 3. And just a quick recap, I'm just going to... Consider the first two verses. The first week we talked about the Lord is my shepherd. Everyone has a Lord. Everyone has someone or something that is their Lord that directs them, that gives them purpose, that gives them cause. Ideally, it's Christ. And even for those who are Christians and followers of Christ, sometimes we can allow other things to be our Lord. But ultimately, If we allow Christ to be our shepherd, he is the good shepherd and he guides us. And if we recognize that and if we experience that, then we truly understand that we lack nothing, that we're content. And we talked about being content. And I think it's harder and harder to be content um, each and every passing day as I was reading just the other day, over $12 billion is spent telling us that we need more in advertisement. If you're in advertisement, I'm not making fun of you, but thanks for being part of the problem. (laughs) But really, even if there was no advertisement, our soul, our heart desires has a whole, the shape of Christ. And if we don't fill it with Christ, we try to fill it with other things, we will be disappointed and we'll keep continuing. We'll continue to add and keep being frustrated by not being content. And then we talked about that he makes us lie down in green pastures. And, and that whole word picture is like pushing the dog's hiney down or putting a toddler to bed for the 38th time. 
that, that kind of that force, that gentle force of lying down in green pastures. You showed pictures of what an actual green pasture in the Judean wilderness looked like, and it wasn't all that green, but the good shepherd knows where the green is and leads. And then last week we talked about he leads, he, Christ, leads us beside quill, quiet waters, water that soothes us, that we can follow him. But he leads us, which means we have to follow. And last week we discussed how if the water is moving, actual sheep won't drink by the water because they're scared because they'll drown if their wool gets caught in the water and it's a pathetic scene. And then now, he refreshes my soul. He restores my soul. King David is writing this, if we remember. And after all of the first two verses, after he recognizes the Lord as a shepherd, after he recognizes that he needs to be content, after David recognizes that it is the Lord that has caused him to lie down in green pastures, to take rest, to take a Sabbath, after he is now led and he's following to quiet waters, the refreshing waters, now he says, he refreshes my soul or he restores my soul. See, the shepherd has already done all that work for us. Now he is leading us. And then the question is, is what else do we need? Why would we ever need to be restored? And why is that important that as we are following the leading of the shepherd, just like sheep, why would we need to be restored if we're already by the good shepherd? As we considered the previous weeks, the closer the sheep are to the shepherd, the fatter, the fuller, the happier the sheep are. But the sheep on the fringes, the ones on the outside, are still part of the sheepfold, still part of following the shepherd just from a distance. But although we are being led by Christ, we can all go astray. And the reality is just like sheep, once they get lost, and I was reading this, once they get lost, more than three meters away, they will lose their way and won't be able to get home. Three me that's not very far. And you know what's funny? Just a side note, I was sharing this with some people. I have spent so much time Googling shepherd and sheep. Now the algorithms and everything that I do... Is, is assuming I'm changing careers and becoming a shepherd. <laughs> Did you know that there's this machine that will, the sheep walk in, they'll grab it, flip it over, and shave it? Bzz, bzz, I mean, it's neat. You know what else? The recommendation. Now, now, since I'm confessing all my sin, I even got an advertisement for farmersonly.com. <laughs> if you don't know what that means... There's an assumption that I am a farmer looking for a wife, which I'm not. I just, I don't know where that fits. I just needed to confess to all of you, be careful what you Google. But, but you know what was interesting, there is a tie to that, is uh, I did click on those things and I told Natalie just in case he got a little hairy there and saying, hey, look, I'm looking for a new wife and here's the sheep and great uh, people actually sh sell sheep on uh, Facebook market, whatever it's called. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, I realized that I was going down this rabbit trail, which isn't unheard of for me. But next thing you know, like an hour and a half passed. And what I realized is how slowly it is to get off center. And not necessarily something bad, but something not good. And not something great. 
It's almost as if our focus on Christ is here, and then all of a sudden something good, not necessarily complete sin, but something ridiculous. And that's really what David is talking about. He's talking about how the need to be restored is ongoing. It's the sanctifying process. I mean, we see this all the way back. We see this in the Old Testament. The Lord literally was leading the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. They could see the pillar of fire and the cover of the clouds and Christ leading, God leading, and they were complaining. Just a little off centered. But as God leads us, it's, it can be easy for us as followers of Christ to just kind of move away from the shepherd a little bit. Maybe not intentionally, maybe just a step or two, but three meters away, sheep get completely lost. And again, going down rabbit trails, you can watch live cams of sheep getting lost. It's the most... <laughs> I'm going to ruin your week, and you guys are not going to be productive at all. But... It's just, they, and you see the shepherd run off, or you see the sheepdog run off like this dumb sheep. But I just wonder how Christ, come on, and he comes and brings. But, but the first thing that I want to point out to is, is exactly how it's phrased. He refreshes my soul, or he restores my soul. It is present tense, meaning to say it's ongoing, and Christ is currently doing that. He restores our soul is not something that happened just in the past when we accepted Christ. And it's not something that will happen later on when we get to heaven. Both are true. But what King David here is recognizing, and I think is true for us to recognize, is that he's ongoing. He being Christ is restoring us, ongoing, getting us and pulling us back, saying, come, come here. Let's bring us back. The word for this understanding is, is sova, which is restore, which is a, a word in the Hebrew that means to restore, to bring back to original, to lead to repentance, to make whole again, to bring back to a previous time or place. So the connotation, the understanding is to take us from where we're currently at to somewhere we are supposed to be. Ultimately, it's, it's almost as if it's taking us into Christ himself, which he is currently and ongoing. I love A.W. Tozer. I think this is the best description of it. He, he describes our salvation and restoration in him as an ongoing process. And I'll, and I'll just explain it in Dallas form. Essentially, he says... Before we know Christ, we are out in the middle of the ocean, shark-infested ocean, with no lifeline at all, and we're not very good swimmers. And we're floating there, and we're sinking. And when we come, and we come to Christ, the saving salvation to Christ, he grabs us and pulls us onto the boat, that salvation. And he saves us right then and there. And then as the boat is turning around with the captain, Christ, going back to the dock, he's nursing our wounds. So not only has he saved us from the ocean, he is now saving us while we are going through this phase of being restored on the ship. And then ultimately when we get to the dock, he carries us onto the dock. See, we're ongoing being saved. 
And no, this is not a works-based salvation. This is simply Christ doing what he does best in saving us. But all the while, until we get to heaven or to that dock, he is restoring us. A.W. Tozer would go on to explain. He said, sometimes in my life, I have attempted to jump off the boat and say, I'm out of here. But thankfully, he's leashed me down, is what he calls it. And thankfully, our salvation is not based on how well we are at being good after we come to know him. Granted, we are supposed to be holy as he is holy, but the goodness in me only comes from Christ because I know how I am on my own. And I know how you are on your own, as a matter of fact, because we are all fall short. See, the one thing, too, about this restoring of our soul is it is a restoration process of going back to once was. It's not modernization. It's not making it a new function, a new building. That's why restoration is not taking an old house and making it a brand new house with all the modern technology. Restoration is more like a car. And I haven't talked about cars in a while. No a lot of hockey, but, but if you think about it, when you take an old car, if you're interested in that, and restoring it, yes, you can modernize it by putting electronic ignition in, and I won't bore you with all the other stuff. The kids are in here, but they might get it more. And side note, the kids are taking notes, and if you have any questions, there's a little section that says, words I don't know or understand. And, and, and one who's related to me mentioned that the last time I wrote, quantum mechanics. So we had a great conversation about that. <laughs> but if you consider this, uh, the restoration of, of the car is, is if you're restoring a car and you're restoring it to how it was back in 1969, you're restoring it to what it once was. See, restoration, see, what David is saying here is he's bringing me back to how I was supposed to be before sin. He's not modernizing me with all the cool new techniques, although there is some newness in, in the way that we come to Christ, but he's restoring us. And I know that I, I'm a bit old-fashioned, but what I really like to see in old cars is a car that's restored perfectly to the way that it was when it rolled off the showroom floor in 19-whatever. That's what restoration means. So as we consider this, if he's restoring us, repentance, bringing us back, and and to kind of get this picture, he's he's bringing back the sheep. So Keller, Philip Keller, who wrote the, the shepherd's view of Psalm 23, describes it as running out to the sheep and grabbing them. And he, he explains the Hebrew word about restoring my soul can mean bringing me back to repentance. Or as Spurgeon says, I would hate to eat in green pastures but still have a black soul. So the NLT, the reason I didn't read NLT, it says he restores my strength, which is true. It really is restores my strength of my soul. He puts me back on solid rock. So he restores, he brings back. And then soul, the soul is nephish, not netfish, but nephish. That means our life, who we are. In the very beginning when God breathed life into us, into the nostrils of Adam, he nephished him. He gave him his life. He gave him the breath of life. That's why later on in Deuteronomy 6, 6, the the great Shema when it says, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. 
essentially saying you must love God with everything that he's giving you already. So God has breathed his life into us. He gave us our souls, and we give God glory by being alive, specifically if we live the way he intends us to live. It is the very fact that we are alive means he has breathed in his glory into us. We reflect God's nature by being simply alive, and God is restoring us back to the original content. He's bringing us back to himself because we are the image of God. That's a beautiful picture. See, the greatest gift I think we could ever give back to Christ is living a life for him. Not perfectly. I wish we could. But that's not what he expects from us. He expects disobedience, just continual growth in him. And again, the greatest commandment is then an invitation to love him by giving back our very life to him. Again, in Romans it says to be a living sacrifice. That means a living death, saying, God, you gave me life, and here is my life. It belongs to you. So the way that, that I broke this down is that the Lord restores our soul in three ways, if you're note takers. First, he finds us when we wander off. He finds us when we wander off. The second, he restores us when we fall. So he finds us when we wander off. He restores us when we fall. I put a little dot, 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 and I put a lot. But. And then finally, he does it himself personally. Christ does this himself personally. So as we consider this, I want to read Luke 15, 3. Verse 3 and 7, a familiar verse perhaps. This is when Jesus is telling parables about lost things and being restored. And this is what Jesus says. Luke 15, verse 3 and 7, he says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and say, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. A couple of things to consider here. The first time I read this, however long ago it was, and even just recently up until maybe seven, eight years ago, I realized that this parable is actually about believers, not simply people who are not believers who come to Christ. That is true. But notice this. He says, suppose a shepherd, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So that means all hundred sheep are part of the sheepfold. They're already followers of the shepherd. And doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He continues to pursue us. Christ continues to pursue us. He's talking directly to anyone in here who is a follower of Christ who has been far from him. He continues to pursue you until he finds you. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it over his shoulders and goes home. 
Just stop there. You've probably seen the picture. I was going to put a picture up on the screen, but I decided not to because I don't think it's difficult for you to picture. You know the scene of Jesus carrying the little lamb over his shoulders, and it's such a cute little warming picture. We'll get into this later on when we talk about his rod and his staff. Sometimes, spoiler alert, the sheep or the lamb that's on Jesus' shoulders, the front legs are actually broken and bandaged. Now, you don't see that very often in the pictures, but a lot of times, and we'll get into this more in a few weeks, sometimes the shepherd has to break the front legs of the lamb. And the reason why, and that sounds so harsh, is because the, the, the sheep, the lamb is so naughty, so bad that it keeps wandering off and it's only going to put itself in danger and lead others to danger that the shepherd knows that the only way to save its life is to break its legs. So that way it has to be carried for six weeks until the legs have fully healed. And in that six weeks, the sheep then comes accustomed to being that close. Philip Keller describes this and talks about this. He said, sometimes I had to break with my eyes closed the legs of the sheep that I love. And six weeks later, those tend to be the most obedient sheep as they never leave me because they're so used to my scent from me carrying them for the six weeks. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want my legs broken. I don't want to face hard things. But the reality is, and honesty, if, if a heartache... A broken heart, some tragedy leads me closer to Christ, then I welcome it. I mean, I don't want it, but I welcome it. And I don't have to convince you. You've been through hardship, I'm sure. You know, when you're out, outside of that storm and when you get there, you feel fully restored. You may still have all of the battle scars from whatever you face, but yet in your heart and in your soul, you know that you've returned to Christ closer. So as we consider wandering away, and as we consider this parable that Jesus says, he says he goes out and carries it joyfully on his shoulders. Now, I describe to you not a joyful situation of broken legs, but again, the joy of the Lord as he carries. So then he goes on in that verse 6, and he says, and goes home, and then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he rejoices with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who does not need to repent. And then, of course, the parable of the lost coin and then the parable of the boy who ran away, the prodigal son. And if you consider that, and we won't read it here, but do you remember what the father did as soon as the boy started heading home? He ran to him came to him. So as, we, as I was considering this and, and as Christ finds us or finds me when I wander off, I realized one thing this, this, this week that I've been really working on actually for the last couple of weeks. My lack of nearness to Christ is not a lack of information. My lack of nearness to Christ is not a lack of information. Sometimes whenever I'm feeling, if you will, spiritually dry or distant from God, my default reaction is I need to read more. Another book, another conference, another sermon, another more, more, more. But the reality is it's not more information. My brain doesn't have to get bigger. My ego has to go to the side and my heart has to be filled with him. That's the restoration of my soul. So, 
That means, for me personally, that means sitting there and being quiet. Difficult. Difficult. Or for some of you who naturally sit there and be quiet, that may mean go out and talk. Usually what I find is the things that I default to in my nature tends to be the opposite in how God works. So I have to sit and be quiet. I have to listen. I have to pray. I have to enjoy the outside or the inside. But it's not a lack of information. See, what King David knew is he knew that the Lord is my shepherd. He's not lacking anything. He's already laid down. He's already had a great quiet time with the Lord. He's already been refreshed by waters. He refreshes my soul. He's come back and rescued me. He continues to work on the things that are bad in me. So Christ himself, just as he left the 99 for the one to invite back. So consider this for a few minutes. To be restored, if you break that word down, restored. In order to be restored, that means you've had to have been stored somewhere before. That means you've already had to have been brought back into the sheepfold. Essentially, it, silly as it is, it, it, it's putting you back on the shelf. It's putting you back in the crib. It's not that you, we weren't already part of his sheepfold. It's we're being put back to right, being restored. Just like this one sheep has ran off, the good shepherd leaves the 99. He rejoices because he is now putting back to what it was. And if you look and if you continue as I have looking at sheep, I was reading that in Israel, even currently, there's a few places where at night, several shepherds, up to five, will put their entire sheep into one big pen, one sheepfold. Now, the first thing I thought of is, well, how in the world are, are you going to organize those sheep in the straight line so when you come back for them, you're like, all right, because I don't know about you, but I did youth ministry for a long time, and Whenever I went to camp, this is why I'm no longer allowed at camp, just kidding, I lost kids, and I only had like five or six to watch in the sea of hundreds of kids. But So this consideration is at night, these shepherds out in the Judean wilderness now, they up to five put all of it, sometimes up to tens of thousands of sheep in one place. But in the morning, as the shepherd comes, one by one, the shepherd will call his sheep and only his sheep will come. You don't have to worry about getting lost. The closeness and nearness, one shepherd describes it, they know my voice, just like they know, I know Jesus' voice. The recognition. So as Christ comes and gets us as we wander off, we do hear his voice. For those of us who are followers of Christ, we've recognized it. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I would suggest that that whisper that you've been hearing and ignoring you recognize his voice too. So, as Christ comes and he finds us when we wander off, the second one is he restores us when we fall away. The, the picture here is a cast sheep, C-A-S-T, sheep. I think I have a picture of a cast sheep, just in case you don't know. That is a cast sheep. It's not playing a game. This is bad. So what happens is the wool will get so heavy on a sheep that when the sheep does lie down in green pastures, if it is too heavy or perhaps pregnant too, it will roll on its back 
and like a turtle, will not be able to recover. And if it lays there long enough, the gases in its stomach will build up so much that it blocks the arteries to the legs. <coughs> Excuse me. So much so that it'll lose filling in its legs and eventually it will die. So what the shepherd must do is not just run over to the sheep and roll it over, slap it on the hiney and say, get back to work. It must massage the legs, roll it on its side, massage its legs up to an hour to get the blood flow back to its legs. As I was considering, that's a lot of work for one sheep. But yet that's what Christ does. He, he, he works in, he massages right in the area where we cut off the blood supply. So that is a cast sheep. So that's why whenever we read, like in Psalm 42, verse 5, and we read, why, my soul, are you downcast? That's the picture. Why, my soul, are you flipped over upside down? Why so disturbing with me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. See, David wrote that psalm too, and he was considering again why his soul is so downcast. Why is his soul so flipped upside down? Why is he cutting off blood supply to the Lord? See, what he's doing is he's recognizing, David has recognized that the source of Christ has not left him, but he has left Christ. So you could be restored just by simply crying out to God. That's why part of the restoration means repentance. You could be restored if you come to Christ and say, restore me. It's crying out, Yahweh, God, my Lord, my shepherd. I know I've experienced not lacking anything. I know that you have made me lay down in green pastures. You've led me to quiet waters. And now I need you to refresh my soul. And as he's considering that, this is what Philip Keller wrote. And I quote, again and again, I would spend hours searching for a single sheep that was missing. And as soon as I reached the cast lamb, my very first impulse was to pick it up. I would hold her erect, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation of her legs. When the sheep started to walk again, she would often stumble and stagger and collapse. Little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. It would start to walk steadily and surely. By and by, it would dash away and rejoin the others, set free from its fears and frustration, given another chance to live a little longer. All of this is to convey in my heart and mind when I repeat the statement, he restoreth my soul. But you notice that little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. But how did the sheep get there in the first place? How do we get there in the first place? How do we go from seeing the Lord as our shepherd and we will not want and we have rest, we have calm water, but how do we get to it? And I wrote down just a couple of things, at least in my own life, whenever I find that I am cast down. Faith often falters when I carry heavy burdens quietly. When I secretly think that I can carry a burden all on my own and I don't tell the Lord, although he knows, and I don't tell others. Definition, pride. If you were at summer camp when I was talking, I was talking about a friend named Bobby of mine and his, his go-to say, uh, saying was, I got it, guys. I got it. I got it, guys. He would never get help and I won't, 
go too long, but eventually when we were out of high school, he made some poor decisions and all he had to do was tell someone and we would have helped him. But you know, one bad decision leads to another, one lie leads to another lie, to another lie, to another lie. Next thing you know, at least for him, he was in jail. And he has since got out of jail many years ago and uh, talking to him uh, a few months ago, just reminding of the story, getting ready for the summer camp. He said, do you remember how I always used to say, I got it, guys? And I said, no, no, you said, I got it, guys. Like, you were annoying. You didn't say it so manly like that. He said, I realized that I have nothing except for Christ. So the reason why some sheep, at least for me, often falters is when I try to carry heavy burdens quietly and say, I got it, guys. And for the sheep, the cast sheep, the heavy wool, trying to carry a burden that wasn't meant to be carried. The other one is disappointed by outcomes. I touched on this a little bit last week. Um, when we set expectation of Christ that he never said he was going to do. And then we get disappointed by the outcomes that we think should have happened. And I'll go back to that Tim Keller quote about prayer that when we pray to God, sometimes God answers us in a way saying, oh, my dear child, if only you knew what I knew, you would pray so much differently. And that's actually not what you need. So sometimes your faith can falter or you stray away because you're disappointed by outcomes. And again, you're disappointed by outcomes perhaps because you expected God to do something he never said he was going to do. Read your Bible. Stay connected to him. And if you are disappointed by an outcome and it was a righteous disappointment and you did set the right expectations but yet you're still disappointed, tell him. I know in our life group, the young adult life group last Sunday, we were talking about various things and one of the things we were talking about, the lack of faith is not, or being disappointed does not mean you have a lack of faith. Questioning God does not mean you have a lack of faith. It simply means you're questioning God and, you, and you're looking for answers. Here's the, the note that I wrote down that I was sharing. Whenever you're disappointed, you're angry, you're upset, go to God with it. When it gets scary is when you stop going to God in your disappointment and your anger. When you go from, I can't trust you, God. What are you doing, God, to I'm not even going to talk to him. So if we try to carry heavy burdens that quietly on our own when we are disappointed by outcomes and we don't go to Christ with them, and then the other ones, if we take shortcuts in the previous verses of Psalm 23, if we're not content and we start comparing, if we don't rest, when we don't follow the leading of God, when we start putting something else as Lord of our life, is when we start to fade away, when we start to go after then we can ask God for a fresh encounter with Christ. We can ask him, can you give me a fresh encounter? Not because the old one wasn't good enough, but I don't want to live off of my conversion to you many years ago. You eat every day, right? Unless you're fasting. I consider it even in a marriage. I tell my wife I love her every day. I think so. I hope so. I didn't say, I don't tell her, hey, I told you when we got married I love you. That's good enough. 
but continually. So oftentimes when we find ourselves being one of those sheep that he restores us when we fall, the reason we fall is because we carry heavy burdens quietly. We're disappointed by outcomes and we don't come to Christ. And we try to take shortcuts from the previous two verses of Psalm 23. And we don't come to the Father. And finally, just to consider that, the, the thing is, one way at least I've noticed is when Paul says, take every thought captive, he really means it. Part of what God does when he restores our soul, when he puts us right, is he deals with our old nature, our old sin nature. He takes out our nasty old heart and puts us a fresh one. And yet, since we are still part of this fallen world and we have not been fully redeemed or restored until we get into his presence in heaven, there continues to be a battle in our life. Paul writes it so, I do what I do not want to do and I do not do what I want to do. But considering taking every thought Captive, And here's a picture since we have kids in here. Sometimes I don't think such nice things of my children when they don't go to bed when they're supposed to. I don't know about you. I'm sure you guys are all calm and they come out 30 times and you're like, oh, this is great. This is such a fun game. I love it. But at least for me, sometimes I get so frustrated because all I want to do is drink my tea and talk to my wife. That's it. Go away. She's not your mom anymore. She's my wife. <laughs> no? Okay. At least that's what it is for me. And sometimes I think such mean thoughts, and I'll put it PG, I'm going to go in your room and take all of your toys away. You know, as a matter of fact, you don't need, and my, my daughters are here, so sorry, I love you. But um, <clears throat> I think these mean thoughts, and that's the PG version. Sometimes I just get so frustrated. All you just want to, I just go away. Go, leave. But what I realize is if I start entertaining those thoughts of, hey, I'm going to take your toys away, they get worse and worse. And then I think mean things of them. Or even for my wife, or even for an encounter that I have with you, or you have with me, or someone at the grocery store, or someone cuts me off. If I start thinking mean things, I hope, oh, I, ooh, I hope, no, I should, never mind. But you know, those, all those mean thoughts, if you don't take those thoughts captives, then you start building on that. Then here you go, here's a slow fade. Now, it's not nice to think those main thoughts on road rage or whatever, but they start to guide you. And then next thing you know, you're full bore crazy. But the moment these thoughts enter our mind, God has given us a way to, rest to restore our soul, first is by correcting our thought. When Paul talks about take every thought captive, the word picture there is put a lasso around it and haul it in. Wrestle it down to the ground and get rid of it before it turns into a reality. Take it captive does not mean that it's going to just disappear overnight, but that's what King David is talking about here. The Lord restores his soul. He restores the returning of the original form he intended, which is a peaceful mind. And a side note, restoration is not a cover-up. You can't fix true restoration. You know, I was considering the car and in that vein of restoring a car, I remember the first car that I restored all by myself was my famous 1972 Dodge Dart. And it was the ugliest car in the whole wide world. And it had been painted over several times and it looked bad. But slowly, 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 I was, I was sanding it down and I was working at it. And then I found all of the Bondo, which is super glue for metal that doesn't work. And 
And, and I sand it down all the way to the metal. And for many, many, many weeks, I drove it like that. And people made fun of me. And you know what my first thought was? I'm just going to go get a quick $99 paint job so people will leave me alone. Although deep down inside, I knew it wouldn't fix it. I just, I just want to cover it up. Because really, I, I was restoring it. I was restoring it in a, in a right process. I spent all my extra time spinning it, but people looked at it and didn't see the work. They just saw the mess. And I see that with our souls. I see that in Christians all the time. God is restoring you and he's bringing you along and he's not teleporting you to post whatever it is he's being restored and you want to take a shortcut and take a $99 paint job. You can't do that. You got to work it out. You got to sand it down. You got to get all the way to the bones. You got to strip it all the way down is what I wrote here. And I wasn't 100% confident in what I was doing at the time, but I just knew this is the right thing to do. And I really was going to pull out the engine and I did. And I, I wasn't going to take any shortcuts. I wasn't going to put some magic glue in there so that way the stop leak. I was going to replace all the seals. If that doesn't mean anything to you, that's okay. Just believe me. But I didn't. I didn't go for the cheap one. It's becoming good. It's becoming Christ, not looking like it. So how does Christ do this? The last one, he does it personally himself. Look at Colossians 1, verse 21 and 22. After Paul writes, and we'll spend time in Colossians later, this year maybe, I think. Uh, Don't hold me to it. But Colossians 1, he's writing this letter to the people in Colossae, and they're really down but, and some false teachers starting to creep in, but they're standing strong. And, and some of the false teacher at the time was, was thinking that, that it was okay to sin and, and, and not because part of our, we are two different identities. The physical world didn't catch with the spiritual world and it was weird. But after Paul describes what Christ has done, he says this, this includes you talking about sin. You were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and action. Yet now he has reconciled you, another word for restoring you, saving you, to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So he himself, Christ, left heaven. He left the 99. He came and He saved you, not just to save you for salvation so you can live what you want, but he's restoring you now. No shortcuts. Carrying you on his shoulders. He has come to you. Because at the end, when judgment happens, which for us believers, God the Father will see Christ and nothing else. And then he will see, as verse 22, that we are holy and blameless as you Stand before him without a single fault. Just a quick note. What God says he will restore, and just going to read these quick. We won't go to them, but God says he's going to restore our past. Joel 2.25. He also says he's going to restore our pain. 1 Peter 5.10. He also says he's going to restore our purpose. Galatians 6.1. And he's going to restore our passion. In Psalm 51, 12, you notice those Ps? He's going to 
He is going to and is restoring our past, our pain, our purpose, and passion. All we need to do is cry out to him. So what King David is saying about he restores my soul is an ongoing process. And ideally, what David recognizes here is he spent a lot of time being close to God and a lot of time being away from God. And he's saying he restores my soul. And each time he does, I'm right there at his feet and he's brought me in. And he left the 99 for the one. So as we just consider this, he restores our soul because he cares, because he knows it's an ongoing process. And part of the restoration, no shortcuts. Cry out to him. You don't got it, guys. And tell somebody else. And then, the second part of verse three, he guides me along right paths. And now we're stepping lockstep with Christ. See all, this thing, see all these things that Christ has already done even before we've taken a step. The restoration of our soul. Praise the Lord. So, I, as Marcus had mentioned and Lauren, last week we are doing uh, Encounters with Jesus. We're putting that book together. I think it's a great idea. You will be really blessed but to read these. Um, I also mentioned to continue to turn them in and at this time, we have someone who would love to share their encounter with Jesus. So will you welcome Reed Brunka? <laughs> Although I'm not very tall, I did mention to him not to stand behind the pulpit, but... <laughs> So, um, what I do is I go to this, it's on Wednesday night, or Wednesday nights, and um, it's called Calvary Kids, and so I go to that, usually. Um, but I felt that that was where God was just, like, calling me to grow in my relationship with him, and um, one time, my mom picked me up from it, and we're going home. We're going to youth to pick up my siblings. And I asked her, like, how to do more for God. Because I felt like I should if I can. And, I mean, I don't really remember what we said or what she said about it. And then when I got to youth, I was asking Dallas the same thing I asked my mom. And then a few days later, eh, um, he gave me this, and it's a book of 365 devotions, so you can do it one every day. It's kind of like a daily bread for kids. And yeah, so. <laughs> That's all. Thank you, Reed. See the, you did a wonderful job. See the, the pursuit. Um, Reed felt the nudging of Christ, so he asked and he shared his encounter. 
So continue to write out the encounters. But as we close, just consider just those few things about this morning. If you feel distance from Christ, ask yourself why. And if you don't know, ask him why. He is faithful to let you know. Don't carry the burden alone. Share it with Christ and with others. And repent. And he is faithful. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and thank you for your word and thank you that you restore our soul, not just when we came to a saving relationship with you, but you are restoring our soul. And understand that to be restored means that at one point we were already stored. We were already in your sheepfold, but we have wandered away. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to bring us back in. You're so good, God, and we're just so thankful. Thank, we thank you that our salvation is not based on our goodness, but based on you. Thank you that you came down to save us because we couldn't save ourselves, Lord. Lord, let us not just live off of yesterday's scripture reading, yesterday's prayers, but be renewed daily by you. You said you're faithful to do so. So Lord, as we were reminded and challenged by Reed to 365 days of a daily devotion, a daily bread, let us enjoy that time. Let us be not in a rush to move on. Let us not take any shortcuts. Let us not worry about what restoration looks like to the world, but to know that you are restoring us and that we are thankful. So Lord, as we continue to sing a couple more songs to you, we just thank you and we bless you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen.